Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to thank you so much for uh, joining with us today. I hope that you have had a great and uh, marvelous start to your new year, uh, 2024. Uh, God is doing some amazing things in this time. And uh, I know in Orlando, uh, God's, God's uh, blessings are raining down uh, upon his people. And I know that the same is happening for you in your city and in your own personal life. I have enjoyed going through the scriptures verse by verse, uh, opening up the word of God uh, for these past um, six months in Matthew. We're going to be really, we only got about seven chapters left. And so uh, for those that have been listening the last uh, few days or few months, um, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're more than halfway there. And there's something uh, powerful about going through the scriptures verse by verse and showing the historical cultural setting and also uh, how to apply it in our lives. Today, it is a uh, an, an incredible you know, shift in the thought of uh Matthew, because he's hastening to the cross. And we're getting into today what they call the triumphal entry. And you're going to see the different parallels between the ancient Near Eastern customs and the customs of Greece and Rome and the kingdom customs that Matthew is highlighting in this text today. So we're in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon a donkey and a colt and the foil of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their clothes and set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? The multitude said, 
This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went to the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, here is thou what these say. And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. This is an incredible passage that I'm excited to break down to you. Remember, Matthew is writing to the Jews, uh, persuading them that Jesus is the Christ, and that not only is he the Christ for them, but the Christ for the world, that the plan is bigger than they can realize, that Jesus is the new Moses, that as Moses led the people out of Egypt, even so Jesus is leading his people out of sin. We talked about it several months ago and how it is more difficult to come out of sin than it is to come out of Egypt. Moses had to bring them out of Egypt, but in Egypt, the issue was that they were slaves, but Pharaoh and the taskmasters could not inflict so much harm upon a slave that it reduced their output. Meaning you would discipline the slave, but you would not discipline it in such a, a way where it hindered their work. And so Pharaoh and the taskmasters, they would whip the slaves and beat the slaves, but not to the point where they couldn't work anymore. There were limits on the pain that they could inflict because they wanted to protect their investments. That's how it was in Egypt. But with sin is different. With sin, there are no boundaries. Sin will try to eat you up. There, there is no boundaries. It will try to destroy you from the inside out. Sin is trying to destroy you from the moment that you come out of the womb, that sin is trying to inflict damage upon a soul. And with sin, there are no limits. In Egypt... The, in bondage, there were limits in Egypt, but in sin, sin has no limits. The wages of sin is death. The end result of sin is death. In Egyptian bondage, the end result was not death. The end result was profit. But in sin, the end result is not profit. The end result is death. And so it is more difficult to bring someone out of the throes of sin than it was for Moses to bring them out of Egypt. Uh, Jesus came to not deliver them physically from the oppression of Rome, but he came to deliver them spiritually from the oppression of sin. 
And the Jews, their thoughts were on being delivered from Rome because they saw Rome as their oppressors. But Jesus came to deliver them from sin because sin is the ultimate form of oppression. And you see the power of the gospel because everywhere in the world, the gospel is relevant. No matter if someone is under a democracy, no matter if someone is under, um, under a monarchy, no matter if someone is under communism, no matter what the oppression is in any system, the gospel is not focused alone on physical oppression, but on the spiritual oppression of sin. And the oppression of sin is greater than any oppressor. My goodness. Think about all the, the militant, uh, evil militant leaders in the world. As bad as, as uh, possibly uh, an Adolf Hitler was, sin is worse. My goodness. Sin has come to enslave everybody. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he came to destroy the works of the devil and he came to set us free from sin by taking on the penalty of sin upon his body as the wrath of God was poured out upon him on the cross. Matthew is showing the Jews to get their eyes off of what's going on uh, politically all around them and get their eyes on a spiritual kingdom because it's in the progression of a spiritual kingdom that it will eventually affect the physical kingdoms of this world. But the priority is being free from sin more than anything else. So he introduces a different type of kingdom, uh, a kingdom that is founded upon spiritual elements. Now remember, there were, were zealots, uh, people that were trying to overthrow Rome physically, people that were up in arms, picking up weapons. That's why Barabbas was in prison because he was an insurrectionist. Um, but Jesus was saying, those that live by the sword die by the sword. This is a different kingdom. And when Peter was trying to harm Malchus, uh, Jesus said, no, leave him alone, and he healed Malchus' ear. He healed the oppressor's ear. He healed those that were hurting them ear because this kingdom is a different kingdom. This kingdom expands greater than any other kingdom. Uh, one of the greatest expansions uh, in the history of the world was the British Empire taking up, up upon millions of miles millions of miles. When I say millions, millions of miles that British Empire had expanded into. Uh, the kingdom expands even greater, greater than Rome, greater than Greece, greater than Britain, greater than the United States, greater than any empire, any, any system. The kingdom expands to greater lengths and greater widths, and greater depths. But we talked uh, in the last chapter 
about those that want to be great humbling themselves to be servant to all. And Jesus gives them the example of being a servant leader by going to serve the worst of society, which were the blind. But Matthew builds upon this point in Matthew 21 and verse 1 in this uh, section. And I want to build upon this point with you. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Now, this donkey that is tied and a colt with her, they they want to bring the mother and the young uh, colt together because there's something about the mother that calms down the young colt. Um, when others write of this same colt, it says that never has a man set upon this colt. colt. This was an untamed colt. And he brings them together because there's something about the mother walking alongside the colt that uh, calms it. Verse 3, and if any man say anything to you, you shall say the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Um, this could be a whole message on uh, multiple generations that, that the Lord had need for the mother and also the child. And you could, you could see that the Lord has need for every generational, every generational uh, gap, that the elders are important, the young people are important, the children are important, uh, uh, the seniors are important, the young marrieds are important, the singles are important. Verse 4, And all this was done, it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell Ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the foil of a donkey. Now, I want you to catch this. I have to do this because they're referencing an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And you got to understand what Matthew is saying here. People read through this, but they don't understand the weight of what he's showing them. Remember, the disciples, this is why context is everything. The disciples were just arguing who's the greatest. Now, the king of glory is coming into his kingdom upon a donkey. Okay? The simplicity, a common beast of burden. He's coming into his kingdom in a different way that they expected. Now, we call this the triumphal entry. But what you have to, to understand triumph, you have to go back into Roman culture. So here's where historical cultural settings are so important. You have to go back into Roman culture. Why? Because the greatest honor that you could give a, a, a person of Rome or a Roman general, the greatest honor you could give them was a triumph. A triumph. And a triumph was whenever the general, like a Julius Caesar, he was rewarded with the triumph after he went into Gaul. The, the general would put on all of his badges of honor, 
from his past military campaign. Oh, I'm getting excited about this, guys. They would put on their their military garments with all of their successes and triumphs. And the army would march through the streets of Rome and everyone would be clapping and, and shouting and dancing because of his military victory. And this triumph that would show the grandeur of the army, the grandeur of the general, as they would walk in the streets and they would have those that were captured, the generals from the opposing army, those that were captured, they would have them walking behind them. They would have all the spoils of war following them on the road. And all of the crowds would surround this Roman general, such as a Julius Caesar. Uh, and they would clap and they would shout and they would rejoice and they would dance because this was the triumph of a Julius Caesar or the triumph of a, a, a Roman general. So this was what they were accustomed to. The highest honor was a triumph where the leader showed off the spoils of war, showed off his captives, showed off the wealth that they got in their past military campaign. Now, this is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But he's coming in on a donkey. No military garments, my goodness. No uh, physical cap captives behind them. No, none of this grandeur that they were accustomed to. Why? Because he's coming in with meekness. He's coming in lowly. The most powerful man in the world did not show off his wealth. The most powerful man in the history of mankind, Jesus Christ, did not show off his materials. Did not, he did not come to um, propagate earthly politics or earthly overcoming the Roman oppressors. He came to overcome the oppression of sin. And he doesn't look like a king, but he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't look like he has all of this, this stuff behind him, but he is the most powerful man that has ever walked this earth. And Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great and all of these generals and all of these kings, they came and they went and they won and they lost and they died. But Jesus is alive forevermore. There's only one king that defeated the grave. There's only one king that defeated the most powerful enemy in the world. And that is sin and that is death. According to 1 Corinthians, it says that death is our enemy. Who? But death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? There's only one king that defeated the ultimate enemy. That is death. That is sin. And Jesus got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He has all power and authority. And now with Jesus, when he's walking through here, 
and this triumphal entry, he's not going to have physical captives. His people, his captives are not going to be people, but the Bible says that he, he spoiled the enemy. Wow. That he made a show of them openly. That's why it says, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. See, we triumph in the spirit and the spirit manifest where there is physical victory, but this is a spiritual war. This is a spiritual victory. And the captives that we have now, the depression, the depression that tried to destroy you now, now we're showing off. Look at depression. Look at how it's in chains and in shackles. It couldn't defeat us. Look at this anxiety. It's in, it's in shackles. It's in pain. We defeated anxiety. Look at this fear. Now we have a triumph. God causes us to triumph. We've got spiritual victories. The things that have come to defeat us now, we have defeated it by the power of the Spirit. This is a spiritual kingdom. And when Jesus is walking through, through these streets of Jerusalem, he doesn't come with this pomp and circumstance. He doesn't come with all of this wealth that he's showing. No, he's walking in a meekness. It's a different kingdom. He is defeating the enemy. How is he defeating the enemy on the cross? What a paradox. It is the paradox of greatness that he wins by dying, that he overcomes by seemingly losing. Are you getting it? He wins by looking like he lost. He overcomes by looking like he's overcome. What a king. What a God. And the triumph looks different in the kingdom. It's not those that, that show off their wealth or show off their followers or show off all of their greatness. Oh, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. No, it's those that are walking in obedience. It's those that are walking in the plan of God, that are walking in humble submission. Jesus was obedient even unto the death of the cross. And so... They're expecting a Roman triumph. They're expecting a Messiah that comes in and takes up arms against Rome. But Jesus came to take up arms against sin. And that's what we have talked about in this series on the gospel being the Evangelion, the good news, which is a military victory. That's how we overcome through the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. The Bible says, they brought the donkey and the colt. They put on them their clothes and they set him therein. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, which means Hosanna means, O save. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the, and the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this is uh, amazing because there's, there's a spiritual pull happening in the streets of Jerusalem at this time. He's, he's conquering. He's about to conquer something, but it's something that they cannot see. But the things which are unseen are eternal, and the things which are seen are temporal. So think about him, Matthew, highlighting this after him serving the blind. He's showing that the kingdom is very different. There's powerful people in the kingdom that are, 
that are in some of the worst parts of the world, people that have no access to water, no access to clean water, people that have no access to the things that we enjoy, no access to listening, you know, having an iPhone or, or listening to, you know, a podcast. But these are powerful generals in the kingdom because it's not measured by the wealth or the followers or how great a person is, but it's what's happening in the spirit. What's happening in the spirit. Verse 12, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now look at this. What Matthew is showing is those that are highlighted in society, they're not pleasing God. He walks into the temple and those in the Jewish diaspora, those that have been spread abroad, when they came for the celebration of these different feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, the these different feasts, they came and what these people at the temple said is that your money's dirty, you have pagan money, so when you come to the temple and you want to buy a sacrifice, you need to exchange that money for a fee. Uh, just kind of like what you see at airports when you're coming from another country and you exchange the money to get the money for that country um, for a fee. That's what they were doing in the temple. And they were making profit. They were making a lot of profit. And what's amazing is the commotion of sales was louder than the sound of prayer. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The sound of money jangling was greater than the sound of prayer in the temple. This was a this was a popular day because it's like um, around a feast. God have mercy. And so business was good that day. Business was so good that they were actually making money. And they were doing their business in the court of the Gentiles. And so imagine going into a holy place. Imagine going to pray, going to seek God, thinking that it's this reverent thing. And you walk in and all you get is people trying to make money off of you. Oh, my goodness. They came from around the world to try to experience God. But all they got is man trying to take advantage of them, trying to make it a few bucks. I'm afraid this is the problem with mainstream Christianity. People are coming to be transformed, to be delivered from sin. And all they get is their pockets emptied in the same life.
And he said, listen, man, my house is the house of prayer. This is a place of communication, but now you're just coming to make money. When it says a den of thieves, it means that these thieves, they would find little dens to hide all of their wealth and hide their money. You didn't come for God. You came to, you came to steal. You didn't come for God. You came to make profit. This stuff has to be cleansed out of God's church. I said this stuff has to be cleansed out of God's church. This stuff has to be cleansed out of God's church. I will never forget whenever I was doing Spanish classes. Oh, man. I never forget whenever I was doing Spanish classes and in my class there was a person from India, a person from France, and a person from Israel. These were my classmates as I was studying Spanish. I was doing full immersion. And we had to, they were, they had these Legos and they were, we were supposed to build a town so we could uh, learn how to give directions in Spanish. You know, izquierda, left, you know, derecha, right, right. Uh, learning how to give instructions, you know, in La Calle, in the street. Learning how to give directions, you know, so we had to make a, a city and a town. And so we were making buildings, libraries, banks, and things like that. And they made a bank, and they put it, like, in the center of the town, Banco. They put it in the center of the town and the guy from India, he knew I was a pastor and he said, um, he said, listen, he, he made a, he made a church in Inglesia. He made a church and he goes, okay, here's a church. And they saw the bank and they were like, okay, I'm going to put the church next to the bank. And, and, and they said, it's the same thing. They said, it's the same thing. A bank and a church, it's the same thing. Money, money goes in and doesn't come out. And internationally, people look at the North American church as a bank, not a church that's doing mission or reflecting Jesus. And it's sad. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I didn't discover. I was in the world for 19 years, but I didn't see the bad side of the world until I got into church. I was safer 19 years in the world than I was around certain people in the church. Because we have fallen short of what God has intended his kingdom to be. In the world, 19 years, no one ever tried to hurt me. 
my God, I wish I could say the same in the church. I wish I could, but over these past 15 years, God have mercy. We've got, we've got, we've got mafia in the church. We've got gangs in the church. What is it all about? Money. It's a poor soul that has money but don't know how to pray. It's a poor soul that has all these materials but don't know how to pray. Now everything, you know, the aspirations is to be, you know, a, a, um, Instagram models, not prayer warriors. 20 years ago, people wanted to pray. 50 years ago, people wanted to pray. Now it's the illusion. I want to keep up the illusion. I've got to put the filter up. We've bowed down to the God of this world. And we have been robbed. goes into the temple and and the people that are the most spiritual they're the, the people that are the interpreters of the law the people that are supposed to say how do I get to God this is how you get to God but they don't know how to tell you to get to God it's pay this much and I can't promise you a move of God They were using something spiritual to make money. They were using God's name to progress themselves. And Jesus came to cleanse the place out because you have lost the intention on why this thing exists. The temple was a place that God inhabited. It was a special dwelling place. But because there was no glory, God wasn't real to them. They hadn't seen the glory descend in that temple in over 400 years. But they got so addicted to the custom of church, the custom of the temple, that they said, let's make money off of this because the glory's not fallen. There needs to be a revival of the glory of God that hits our churches and hits our lives and hits our families. Because if all we have is po programs and buildings and 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 popularity but we don't have the glory we have nothing when god comes back is he going to come back to a house of prayer or is he going to come back to a den of thieves i think you know the answer to that Many of us are more well-off financially than we've ever been, but we've never been more spiritually poor. 
It's the truth. I'm saying the truth. Nobody wants to say it. Everybody wants to act like, you know, nothing's happening. But the spiritual decay in this hour is scary. The spiritual decay in this hour is scary. So for for me, I want to search my heart every day like, God, I, I, I want to have communication with you. I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I believe that there's still a remnant in the church that of people that want to have a relationship with God. I believe there's a remnant of people in the church that have not lost the basics. They just want him. The thing that is keeping us from spiritual power is the word and. You see, they want the Lord and popularity. They want the Lord and money. They want the Lord and materialism. And it's the and that is separating them from the kingdom. Anything we add to the Lord is hurting our connection to the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's very simple. Seek God. Where Solomon messed up was the scripture that says that he built the Lord's house and his house. Ah, you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me yet. He, he built the Lord's house and his house. Let me use God's kingdom and also kind of twin my kingdom with it as well. And we're just going to say the Lord is pleased. It's not happening. You will be void of the power of God. The kingdom, this is what Jesus is showing. If he's coming in, riding on a donkey. Put it in put it in modern put it in, in modern terms, Pastor Jackson. Okay, okay. Imagine the greatest preacher in the world with the most followers in the world showing up in a 1978 Volkswagen with old clothes. <laughs> don't make sense to the natural eye. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Doesn't make sense, does it? But in the kingdom, it's different. Look what he does here. He says, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now look what he does. He, he cast out the chief priests and the scribes. He cast out the money changers. He cast out everyone that was qualified, and he brought in the blind and the lame. 
the unqualified. Now remember, according to Leviticus, the blind and the lame could never enter into the temple. But he cast out the qualified and he brought in the unqualified and he healed them there. That's what the house of God's all about. We're broken people, messed up people, people with issues can come and get healed. The blind didn't have money. The lame didn't have money. But the house of God was a place where everyone could come and be transformed. That's what you call redeeming the temple, redeeming the sanctuary, where everyone has a place. Where everyone has a place. He cast out all of those that were qualified according to man, and he brought in the unqualified, and he healed them there. He brought back the purpose of the temple. It's supposed to be a place of transformation. It's supposed to be a place of deliverance. It's supposed to be a place where we draw close to him. It's supposed to be a place where we draw closer to him. Does that mean that the temple didn't need money? No. No, it means, yes, yes, the temple needed uh, money to operate. Yes, the church needs needs money, you know, uh, to operate its building and its electricity and all of this stuff. But if that ever becomes to the aim, we have lost the kingdom. The aim is souls. The aim is helping people. The aim is having the glory of God come down. And when Paul needed an offering from the church in Corinth, he said, listen, man, I sold unto you spiritual things. Is it a great deal? Is it a big deal if I reap your carnal things? He said, listen, I sold unto you spiritual things, spiritual words, spiritual messages. He said, it's not a big deal if you bless the ministry with your uh, material things, with your finances so we can get the message to go forward. But when that ever becomes the aim, we have missed the kingdom. He brought in the blind and the lame, and he healed them there. He cast out the qualified, and he brought in the unqualified. According to the law, they couldn't come into the temple, but his presence healed them and made them qualified. But those that could see and those that could walk that were qualified to be in the temple, spiritually they were unqualified because their motives were wrong. I have preached about motives for 15 years. And I love what Matthew says. He says, man, Jesus told them, your ears have become dull of hearing. People don't want to hear about spiritual things anymore. When you say, hey, everybody pray, it goes through one ear out the other. Hey, everybody read the Bible, it goes through one ear out the other. Hey, we want to promote you. Huh, 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 me, 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 huh, me, me, me. The only thing that wakes up people is self. 
Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Me, me, me. The only, you know, the only, the only thing that wakes people up is self. We've got to get back to the basics of that. This is about having communication with him. That this is about walking with him. This is about having a relationship with him. He's trying to restore the temple back to its original intention, and that is you have the awesome privilege to communicate with God. When did God become not enough for us? Yeah, God's good, and the word is good, and yeah, I'm receiving this from God, but, but man, when my time coming? When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he lodged there. The people that did not spend their life studying the word the commoners, the regular folk recognized who Jesus was. And the people that were in the temple and read the book, read the Torah, interpreted the Torah, they didn't recognize him. Are you seeing what he's saying? He says, listen, the innocent are confessing to me, but those that are seasoned in spiritual things, they're blind. They've become numb because of their religiosity. The lethargy, the ritual. They have become numb. They've become numb, but the people that are innocent, that hasn't spent all their life in seminary, they say, God is doing something. But those that have been studying the book their whole life literally are skeptical, like, uh, no, mm -mm. I'm not making money off of it, and it can't be God. I'm not profiting, can't be God. Let me tell you something, guys. I believe in the study of Scripture, and you guys know that not only am I qualified for the spirit by the spirit, but I'm qualified educationally. I did four years in seminary. I don't talk about that. Four years, that's two master's degrees. Two master's degrees in seminary. And I'm qualified by the anointing, but I got the qualifications in this world, in the education system. There's a lot of people that know about God that don't know God. They know about him. They can know about him. They know about theology, the study of God, but they haven't had an encounter. Where's our encounters? Where do we get up from the prayer meeting with tears in our eyes and say, I'm changed forever? That used to mess me up when I would see people, you know, that 
just didn't change after years in the church. I mean, that's the most bizarre thing. I think that's bizarre. I don't think that should be normal. Cussing when they got saved, been saved 20 years, still cuss. God have mercy, y'all. A lover of money, when they got saved, been saved 15 years, still a lover of money. I mean, come on, somebody. Where's the change? What's happening? Matthew is setting a standard that the kingdom is very different. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the withered fig tree. It's different, y'all. I'm in the book, guys. This is the book. Jesus has the audacity to rebuke the people that are in his temple, the chosen people of God, he rebukes them. Because they were falling short of his standard. And this is what Paul would say later. He'd, he would tell the Jews, he said, the name of God is blasphemed by the Gentiles because of you. He said, because of how you, you have lived in idolatry, you blasphemed the, the Gentiles, those that didn't know God. They're blaspheming the name of God because they see how the people are living. That's what's happening in the world right now. People are looking at how the church is living, and they're blaspheming the name of Jesus because of the actions of the church. And I told someone yesterday, I said, we're living in a day, day that the world is holding the church accountable. The church is supposed to be holding the world accountable. But because we're out of place, the world is holding the church accountable. What does that mean? That means that the, the child molestation, the child abuse, the, the sexual abuse, all of these things that are covered in the church, the world finds out about it, and they immediate bring, immediately bring proper judgment to it and hold that person accountable. Because the church won't hold itself accountable, the world's holding us accountable. The children of the world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. Let me tell you, we got to get back to the altar. We got to get back to God. We've got to get back to transformation. Yes, I'm talking, it's, it's literally, as I'm talking, it's literally it's almost 7 o'clock in the morning. I've been speaking since 6 o'clock in the morning. But I'm fired up because I want an authenticity. How many times we're going to uh, do a 21 days of prayer and fasting in January and, and not change? We got to have changed. But the scripture states 
They have no changes, therefore they fear not God. We need a revival of the fear of God. Well, you're not changing, that means you don't fear God. We need a revival of, 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 of respect and reverence for God and his presence. This is what Matthew is showing, that it's different. It's different. If you didn't come to progress his life physically, Jesus possessed all things, yet the Bible says in Philippians that he emptied himself. Oh, my goodness. Y'all going to make me cry in this podcast. While the Pharisees were just trying to make money, Jesus emptied himself of all of his riches. He owned everything, yet he came down as a carpenter for us. He didn't flaunt his wealth. He just wanted to save somebody. He wanted to save you and I. I've been I've been preaching like this for for about 15 years. And I'm going to keep preaching like this because our the church needs to bend to the scriptures. We need to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We got to get back. We got to get back. We got to get back to change. God changed me. God changed me. God changed me. I want God to change me. I'm not asking you to be perfect, no, but I'm asking you to ask the Lord to change you today. We need to walk in love. We don't need to walk in grudges. We need to walk in forgiveness, not bitterness. Change me. Change me. Ask God to teach you how to love your enemies. People, people may ask me, like, Brother Jackson, with all that you've been through and all the type of world that you have seen in, in the church, like, like, do you still love it with everything in me? With every, with every fiber of my being. With every fiber of my being. I thank God for the church. But we got to hear a word of repentance and of coming back to making this a house of prayer. And I'm committed to my listeners right now that I'm not just going to preach this. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to lead by example. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not just preaching. This isn't just a podcast. This isn't just a random Bible study. This is an awakening. 
This is an awakening. Come back. Come back to God. Come back to God, church. Come back to God, church. Come back to God, church. Lay aside, lay aside these things and come back to God, church. The deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things, the cares of this world has choked the word out. Oh, God. choking the prophetic word out. Come back. Come back. Come back to God. With all the historical cultural things that I shared with you today, with all the revelation and the knowledge and the experience, if I don't have God, I have nothing. There are people that are going to listen to this and just go on about their day. And it's another another podcast episode. Going about my day, Amen, Amen, Pastor Jackson, Amen. Great word, awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, awesome. That's good. That's good. I'm asking for you that are listening to do more than Amen. I'm asking for you to Amen me with your life. Let your life be an Amen. That more than you just verbally saying amen, let your life demonstrate an amen. Let there be fruit. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow, the withered fig tree. See, we're getting closer. We're getting closer to the crucifixion, so we're getting into the nitty-gritty. Share this podcast. I pray it's a blessing to you. I love each and every one of you. It's time to come back to God. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.